Welcome to the Wizard of Whiskey podcast, the podcast dedicated to the hedonist lifestyle. You've tuned in today to hear some more talk about Hungry for Wine. I've got on the line Kathy Hoyha. How are you today, Kathy? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm very well. I just wanted to confirm that I did not obliterate your last name. You did really great. Oh, yeah. Yay. Very good. Awesome. It's only taken six months. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, so chapters three and four, there, there's a lot that goes into the wine industry, as you know and, and, and as I know. Um, I don't think a lot of consumers realize just how much uh, goes into planning, preparation, picking, uh, distribution. Uh, there, there's just a lot of behind the scenes. And so chapters three and four kind of talk a little bit about that. Um, and they kind of talk about the urban sprawl of, of wineries and, um, and of course, uh, the immigration issue um, with uh, with harvest, so so Kathy, why don't you jump on in and give us a little a um, little bit about uh, what's uh, prompted these these two chapters and why they were so important to you? Yeah, so so brief uh, overviews, um, starting with chapter three. Uh, chapter three is about urban wineries and about um, young people, young entrepreneurs, particularly in Portland, Oregon, who um, who don't necessarily have the capital or, or the desire or the investment capability to, to buy a big vineyard or to buy a lot of land, uh, but they really want to be in the mix. They really want life, wine to be part of their lifestyle. And so what they've done is, and it's actually followed um, a well-established model, um, and I, I, use, I use Bone, I use Burgundy as an example of this. Um, they follow the well-established model where the winery itself, where the wine is produced and manufactured, um, is, in, is in a town, um, in this case, Portland, Oregon, and the wineries uh, surround the town. Um, they are, you know, kind of in the agricultural land outside, outside the center. Um, and they, uh, the proprietors lease uh, uh, the vineyard, or they, you know, they they buy the yield of the vineyard year to year. You know, having extended contracts often, um, and they have some control. Uh, with the growers over how those grapes are, are grown and and produced and harvested and pruned, et cetera, throughout the year. So that is a much less barrier to entry uh, for people in the wine industry and has been for, for a long time. Um, and then that, uh, that winery in the middle of the town becomes sort of a, a community center in a lot of ways. Uh, the case that I talk about in Chapter 3 um, is... The, the, the winery in Portland has become an event center. It's become a gathering place. It's become um, also a, a, a venue or a customer, essentially, of the, the people who produce wine at the winery. You know, it's a, it's a cellar door. It's a way for, for the wine to be sold and sort of be injected directly into the community right from where it was produced. Okay. Um, <clears throat> what what do you think brought on that uh, that kind of urban uh, idea? Other than other than the economics of it all, um, is it just something that you know you're, gives you quicker, easier, um, <clears throat> simpler access to to your consumers, or why do you think it's so? Imp- I, I I was in Chicago for about ten years, and we we had quite a few um, of these kind of popping up, you know, wineries within. Um, within city limits, um, and Chicago is not exactly known for its 
um, for its vineyards. But uh, um, why do you think it's it's becoming a, a really big thing now? Um, I, I think that it's partly people. It's partly the access, um, and it's partly the fact of of the the owners and the sort of the drivers of it really wanting uh, wine to be part of of their everyday lives. Um, and it, it's their it's it's where they go to work. It's where they go to socialize. It's where they you know stop for lunch or it's where they come for an after work drink. Um, so I think that uh, the desire, the increasing desire among urban communities or, or rural communities to be closer to uh, where our food and drink come from, I think that that's a big driver for for this. And also there's the historical precedent to it. You know, it's, been, it's not like, you know, this is a brand new idea, um, but it's definitely been rejuvenated recently. Fantastic. Um, so, so yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting um, kind of it's 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 different i mean i i know you know the um some of some of the older winemakers um um i've talked to them about about this uh, urban idea and they're um they're absolutely totally you know against it but then again you've got you know some of the new up and comers who who love the idea of having kind of direct access and having um you know being able to reach the consumer you know hey let's go after work and let's go to a winery instead of you know let's just go to a bar um, right. And so it's a really cool way, I think, to access your consumers and, and get them directly, um, you know, excited about your about your product. Yeah, um, and I also was just in I was in Idaho last week, and one of the most exciting things that I was finding there was sort of taking the taking the idea of an urban winery and layering on other 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 trends. For example, breweries and growlers, and um, and even sort of refilling a growler at the farmer's market with kombucha, which, which I personally have done. So this winery is actually doing refills of wine bottles. So they, they put their wine in a, you know, to start in a, in a magnum bottle. And uh, then you can refill after, after that bottle is empty. You can come back to the winery within the city and re- have it refilled. And so you're reusing the same bottle. And it's, but it's, you know, the same, um, the same brand wine that you're that you're getting, and so you become you become invested. You become invested in that in that neighboring business. You become invested in that community, and it's just it's a really great idea, and it's really exciting. I mean, I, I wrote I visited Portland, you know, a couple of years ago already, but just this now happening that I'm seeing in Idaho of all places is um, just another way, another iteration of it, where other layers of things have been um, adding on. It's really exciting. Yeah, it is. It is kind of an exciting time in the in the wine industry. Um, so, so tell us a little bit um, um, about Chapter Four. What um, what what inspired this uh, this chapter? Yeah, Chapter Four is about who harvests your grapes. Um, you know, whereas Chapter Three was about the wine lifestyle um, and sort of choosing wine and choosing to be. Um, to have it be part of your everyday life. Chapter four is a lot about uh, when wine isn't necessarily a choice, it's a, it's a job, and it's how you put food on the table for your family. Um, and that's where uh, the question of labor comes in, of the people who are actually harvesting the grapes um, that go into the bottle of wine on your table. Um, it's a question that I ask everywhere I go when I travel all around the world is, who harvests the grapes here? And the answers that I've gotten have been, 
wildly diverse, um, but they also each say something about um, about the labor force in that particular place. It often says something about um, transient labor, migrant labor, um, organized uh, organized systems of labor labor coming from other places, and also, of course, you know, uh, not or not organized or illegal uh, immigrant uh, populations being put to work in the vineyards. Um, I've seen that all over the world, um, depending on, on where we are. Um, and it's an incredibly, it sort of gets right to the heart of the matter uh, from the start. It's, you know, this first, this first came to mind for me when I was traveling in Eastern Italy. And um, this was shortly after the Serbian-Croatian War. And I asked, who harvests the grapes here? And the answer was refugees, refugees from the war, um, who were actually uh, mainly Muslim uh, and not interested in drinking the wine, but they were, they were great gardeners. They were great um, uh, people who knew how to, who, to take care of, of a crop. And so they were the ones who were harvesting the grapes at that moment in time at that vineyard in Eastern Italy. And it was really, I was like, wow, you know, that's a whole other, that's a whole other way to look at this. I asked the question in, um, in Lebanon, who harvests these grapes here? And the answer um, is that sometimes it's, it's nomads who harvest the grapes here. Sometimes it's refugees. I asked the question in Tasmania. And the answer there is um, agricultural crews that have been recruited uh, from, from Asia. And it happens to be uh, young Asian women who either are looking for, you know, new to the profession or looking to change professions, um, but who have received this training and are now um, part of a crew that harvests not only grapes, but other crops uh, throughout the season in Tasmania. And so it's a really, um, it, as I said, it really gets to the heart of, heart of something when you start with that question at a vineyard. You know, um, like I said, I don't think that most people realize um, all of the effort and all of the work and all of the um, economies of scale that go into producing even one bottle of wine. Um, it, it, must be, it must be interesting to, to travel and um, and I and I in fact I know a few people who do this who they they go to both harvests northern and southern hemisphere, um, and that's kind of just what they do. They just you know spend their time going to har- from harvest to harvest, um, um, and it must be it must be kind of interesting. But at the same time, it must be um, it's a lot of work. Um, it's a, it's an awful lot of work, and it's it's a huge um, huge energy drain, and it's just it's 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 physical and it's hard labor um, labor. And uh, so it's interesting that you that you tackled the the immigration issue um, when it comes to this because there there are a lot of wine producing countries other than just um, um, other than just you know America and France you know there's a lot of wine producing countries out there that need you know huge labor forces uh, to, uh, to to get their grapes uh, in from the vineyard. Right. And actually, the chapter starts when I was walking through a vineyard in New Zealand, of all places. So walking through a vineyard in New Zealand, and um, I came across this, this couple of guys uh, who were, you know, 
walking and walking toward me, and they were holding a rabbit that they had clearly just caught. And the rabbit wasn't wasn't bleeding. It you know it was still actually quivering. It was still a little bit alive. But they were they were holding this rabbit. And I and I'm, I'm come up up to these guys and and I'm, they are clearly not uh, native New Zealand. They're not Maori. They're not Caucasian. They're not of European descent. Um, they're dark skinned. And I'm like, first of all, how do you catch a rabbit with your bare hands? <laughs> And second of all, who are you people? You know, what are you doing here? What, why are you in the vineyard? And it turns out that they are um, uh, Pacific Islanders. They're from the island of Vanuatu that the government of New Zealand has organized um, a work exchange. So for three or four months of the year, uh, there's, there are these groups and families and crews of workers who come to New Zealand from Vanuatu uh, for work and send the money back home. So that is, you know, that's how this, that's how chapter four starts, actually, is when I come across these guys holding this rabbit in the vineyard in New Zealand. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, that is, that is kind of interesting. Um, so, um, well, all right. Um, so, so it's a really cool book. For those of you who haven't read it yet, um, shame on you. And um, lastly, you know, go get it. Um can you tell us a little bit where, where we can uh, get the book? Yeah, the easiest thing is to um, order on Amazon. Uh, it's available as an audio version, as a Kindle version, and in hard copy. Um, and that's the, the simplest thing about it. And you can also uh, check out reviews uh, both there on Amazon as well as on my website, which is just my, my name, dot com. Fantastic. Um, thank you very much again, Kathy. And for those of us um, um, who just love your work, um, you just put together an article, um, if I'm not mistaken, about the Brexit uh, um, issue and how it's going to affect uh, English champagne or British-produced um, British uh, sparkling.